Praise the Lord. God can. Amen. <clears throat> he certainly can. Well, let's take our Bibles. Turn over to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to begin in verse 16. We're going to read through verse 18, and then we'll go from there. But <clears throat> again, good to have you back tonight. Um, yeah, good to have you back. I had a couple of uh, things to share, and I left them in my office again. I'm terrible about that. Yeah, some things I learned this week. Well, I'll have to share them next week. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, And he said, Be by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. Because thou hast done this thing, that's not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Then thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. It would be from that day forward that men have been learning that when they obey God's voice, when they surrender that which is nearest and dearest to their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing is returned a thousandfold. It's been said that you can't outgive God. And we've heard it said over and over again. And you know that is true in every way as well. Whether we're speaking of money, time, or energy, the fact is, is that God will be a debtor to no man. We've saw, said that before. We've heard that before. And we see evidence of that in Scripture. <clears throat> in this particular case, Abraham gives his one and his only son when God calls. And with this disappears his every hope and dream. For years he sojourns with promise. And now, upon receiving it from God, finally receiving the promise, his son, Isaac, God asks him to return him. But what of God's promise, Abraham may have said? What of that boy and what of the family and what are the hopes and dreams that Rest upon this precious gift that you gave me, God. What in the world's going to go on? I mean, he's the heir. He's the legacy. He's the future. But the boy's restored, isn't he? The family becomes as the stars and the sands in number. And out of it, in time, appears Jesus Christ. It's amazing what God has done. And isn't that the way God meets every real sacrifice from every single one of his children? Every time God asks and requires something that's near and dear to our heart, every time we believe that somehow what he's asking for is almost impossible to give, we realize that in the end, over time, we come to the realization that we'll be rewarded many times over. We surrender all and accept poverty, and he sends wealth. We renounce a rich field of service. He sends us a richer field, one that we could only dare to dream of. We give up all our cherished hopes, and we die to self. 
crucifying the flesh, and he sends us life and life more abundant and overwhelming joy. You know, it's really impossible to know the fullness of the life that's in Jesus Christ until we've made the supreme sacrifice that Abraham did. C.G. Trumbull put it this way. He said, the earthly founder of the family of Christ must begin by losing himself and his only son, just as the heavenly founder of that family did. We cannot be members of that family with the full privileges and joys of membership upon any other basis. It's been said, we sometimes seem to forget that what God takes, he takes in the midst of fire. The only way to the resurrection life and the glorious ascension is by way of the garden, the cross, and the grave. See, if we think for just even a moment that somehow Abraham's plight is unique and it's very individual, a solitary experience, we are wrong. The truth is, is that Abraham's experience and Abraham's plight is exactly what you and I must indeed endure. It is a pattern of the way that God deals with mankind. It is a means by which he always, always deals with his people. The thing that we have to really keep in mind is that it isn't until after we've patiently endured that we ultimately receive his promises. I mean, we live our lives on earth, and the truth is, is that so many times we are waiting for God to do something. Again, he's asked us for things sometimes that we feel that, well, we just can't give. We may hold them so close to our hearts that we say, I don't want to give it up, and I won't give it up, and yet until we're willing... We really will never understand the true blessings and the real benefit of Christ in our life. And that's tough. And we can sit here and preach about it. We can talk about it. We can teach in the Sunday school class about it. But saying it's a lot easier than doing it sometimes, isn't it? F.B. Meyer said, There's nothing indeed which God will not do for a man who dares to step out upon what seems to be the mist. Though as he puts down his foot, he finds a rock beneath it. <clears throat> and isn't that how we sojourn in this life? So many times God asking us to do what seems impossible. So many times God asking us to give what we think is impossible. And he says, place your foot on the mist. And when you put your foot out into the midst, you find a stone. Because there he is all along. God speaks to Abraham and he says, Because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. The question, what price are you willing to pay? willing to pay to enjoy the blessings of God. He says that in blessing, I will bless thee. What price are you willing to pay to see your family prosper? He says in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And what price are you willing to pay to see your children overcome the world? 
He says, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. What price are you and I willing to pay to enjoy the blessings of God, to see our families prosper, and to see our children overcome the world? He says, because thou hast obeyed my voice. See, the price is obedience. It's always obedience. And we may grow weary of hearing about it. We may grow weary of being preached at. We may be, grow weary of saying, well, I've always heard it. I've been told that all my life. But I want you to know until you recognize and understand the reality that God only blesses in obedience. We'll forever struggle and wonder why we don't see the blessings that are promised in this blessed book, the Word of God. We'll wonder why things aren't going our way. We'll wonder why life seems to be so chaotic and confusing at times. But simple obedience seems to adjust and correct all the problems. It doesn't take away some of the hurts and heartaches we feel in the midst of loss, turmoil, trouble. But we have a God that will go through it with us always. So I want to share three things that happens when we obey his voice. Three basic things. So let's pray. Father, help us now in these next few moments, Lord, as we consider the life, obviously, of Abraham and the tough decision that he made to willingly give his life, give the life of his son back to God. If that indeed is what God wanted, he would have done it. I believe that he would have done exactly what God said. Lord, I'm glad, Father, that in every case, when you ask us for that which is nearest and dearest to our heart, you reward us manyfold. God of heaven, help us. Be with us even this evening and speak to our hearts as we consider now what we really gain when we obey your voice. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So when we obey his voice, I want you to know we never lose. We never lose. Do you know that it went better for Abraham than it did for Lot? Take your Bible, look over Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. It went better for Abraham than it did for Lot. Genesis chapter 13, verse 7. We're just going to highlight a couple verses along the way, make a few comments, but... I want you to know the strife that's transpiring, taking place. The Bible says in chapter 13, verse 7 of the book of Genesis, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Notice there's strife between the two. I want you to notice verse 9, there's a solution that is presented. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. Abraham, Abram talking here. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. 
He's saying, listen, there is strife between your cattlemen and herdmen and my cattlemen and herdmen, and I don't like strife, and strife isn't good, and that's not something that honors God. If it's going to be that bad and we just don't have enough space and enough room in order to get along in this area, then let's just go ahead and separate. You can take yours with you, and I'll take mine with mine, and you go your way, and I'll go my way, not because we're angry at each other, not because we're mad at each other, but because it's impossible for us to work together here. There's just too little space, and too much blessing of God. And that's exactly what was going on. The blessings of God were so great that they had to split up. Can I tell you, that ought to be how it is in every local church in America. Do you know why we're not planning churches? Because we're not seeing the blessing of God enough in our churches. If there was so much blessing, we couldn't stand it. Notice verses 10 through 13. So the solution is offered, but notice now the split. They actually do separate. <clears throat> Verse 10, the Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other, <clears throat> Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now, I, I want you to note the sinful slide here. I just want you to see it because it's pretty, pretty obvious and it's simple to see, and I'm sure that you're aware of it already, but let's just take a note as we, we look at the passage, notice again early on, it says here <clears throat> that Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, verse 12, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent, look at these two words, toward Sodom. Now, you know, the, the problem wasn't the plain. The problem was the direction he was pointing. It wasn't where he was at that was the problem. It was where he was pointing that was the problem. Now, I'm going to say something a little later in the message, but let me tell you this. I don't believe God is con as concerned about where you are at as he is where you're going. All I know is here is that we see a very sinful slide taking place <clears throat> because... It, it's a mess, isn't it? First of all, look at Genesis 14, 14. <clears throat> We're talking about obeying the Lord because thou hast obeyed the voice, my voice, the Lord said. I'm going to, pro I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to, you, I mean, you're going to enjoy the blessings of God. Your family's going to prosper. Your children overcoming the wicked one and overcoming the world. I'm telling you, Abram, you'd obey me and God, me, I will bless you, he said. But Lot, on the other hand, we see this, well, parallel, or not really a parallel, but the opposite. Notice Genesis 14, 14. He's pointed or pitched toward Sodom. In verse 14, chapter 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive... He armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 
318 and pursued them unto Dan. The next time we read about Olad, he's being held captive by the enemy. I think that's kind of an interesting turn of events here. Lot goes from pointing toward Sodom to being captured by the enemy. And guess who goes and delivers him? You figured it out, didn't you? Abram. He, He runs to the rescue. Now the next time we read about Lot, notice in chapter 19, verse 1. He's being begged to leave the city and avoid destruction. Notice what it says, chapter 19, verse 1. That's all right. That's just the Holy Spirit slamming the door on Satan and sin. (laughs) Probably just ruined the door back there in the, uh, you you, you choir members, you know that door that's there between the baptistry? Uh, Yeah, Brother Josh told me, he said, you know, that door's probably going to slam tonight. And I walked in, and I thought, well, if it's going to slam, why didn't he shut it? Is he, is he telling, am I supposed to shut it? So the Holy Spirit shut it. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> so anyway, chapter 19, verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom and even. And Lot sat at the gate of Sodom. Look, he sat in the gate at Sodom, of Sodom. Now, I want you to know something. He sat in the gate. I mean, the last a couple of times earlier, when we first saw Lot making his you know, separation from Abram and going his own way, we see him in the plain, no problem. But we see where he's pointed, towards Sodom. Now he's no longer pointed there, he's sitting in the gate. You know, that, that implies that he's one of the leaders of the city. I mean, he has found his way to the city, and now he has literally planted himself in the city. Look at verse 12 and 13. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law, or, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. In the end, Lot loses his wife. He loses at least, we know, two daughters. He loses their families. And it would not be long after he leaves Sodom that he loses his integrity and the purity of both himself and his daughters. He would ultimately birth two nations with his daughters, the Moabites and the Ammonites. Both of those nations would become idolatrous and the enemies of God's people. I don't know about you, but you never lose when you obey God. But let me tell you something. You ain't got nowhere to go good when we choose to disobey God. If asked whether Abram made the right decision to march Isaac to the top of that mount, to bind him there and to sacrifice him as commanded by God, you know what we would probably say? Well, yes, of course that's the best. Of course he should have done that. 
But that yes is based on the fact that we now see the outcome. Has God ever asked you to do something where you did not see the future? You couldn't tell where it would lead you and how it would end? Now that is truly a step of faith when we obey Him then. You know, it doesn't take me a lot of faith to drink a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi at dinner. I pretty much know what I'm going to get. You know what I mean? But if you worked in the office like I do, and some of the guys do, and you got Brother Dean coming in, and he offers you things. I don't know what it is about Brother Dean, but he likes to offer things that are really strange. He offered me these cookies the other day. They were like crackers. And he said, hey, smell these. And I went, I mean, it about knocked me over. Honestly, it about knocked me over. And I thought, what, what satanic company would make something like that? And he started explaining to me, he said, oh, oh, this is considered, you know, these are really popular in this particular country and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, they stink. He goes, I know they're horrible. They smell so bad, but hold on. They taste really good. Now, let me tell you what. It took faith to try those cookies. <laughs> took a lot of faith. And I said, are you serious? He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, they don't taste anything like they smell. And I'm thinking, do you got to hold your nose when you chew these things? But he's just like, no, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, they're, they're good, Pastor. You're going to like them. I'm like, I don't know. Kevin was there. Kevin remembers. I took a bite, I broke a piece off, took it and chewed it up. Wow, amazing. Didn't taste anything like it smelled. Kevin started chomping it. I mean, he's chowing it down. <laughs> but that took faith, let me tell you something. And you know what, it takes faith, doesn't it? Whenever God asks for something that's near and dear to our heart, when God's asking us to take a step into the mist, and we don't know if we'll land on anything solid or not. That's faith in action. <clears throat> when Adonair Judson, uh, Judson, he graduated from college and seminary, he received a call from a, a very prominent church in Boston to become its pastor. Actually, an assistant pastor, excuse me. Everybody, of course, congratulated him. <clears throat> his mom, his sister, Man, they were excited. They were rejoicing. They couldn't believe it. They thought to themselves, man, he can live at home with us, and man, he'll be able to still do his life work. But Judson, he just shook his head. He said, my work's not here. God's calling me beyond the seas to stay here even to serve God in his ministry. I feel would be only partial obedience. I couldn't be happy in that. And although it did cost him greatly, and he experienced tremendous struggle along the way, and he left mom and sister and friends behind, <clears throat> Judson's churches in Burma ultimately had 50,000 converts. And of course, the influence of his ministry was felt around the world. 
I mean, he was asked to take a step of obedience. <clears throat> a simple step, right? Just obedience. But it's not always so simple, is it? I mean, a step into mist. And he said, I trust God. I believe God will lay a foundation. He'll place a path for me to travel. I trust God to protect me, to care for me, to meet my every need. See, you never lose when you obey God. You never lose when you obey God. And Deuteronomy 5.33 says, Ye shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that ye may live, and that it may be well with you, and that ye may prolong your days in the land which ye shall possess. Obedience. Obedience. You never lose. Number two, obedience. <clears throat> I mean, what is it when we think about obeying the Lord? I mean, when we obey His voice, He's always there. He's always there. During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln met with a group of ministers for a prayer breakfast. One of the ministers said, <clears throat> he said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. Lincoln's response was, no, gentlemen, let us pray that we are on God's side. You know, when we get on God's side, <clears throat> we never have to worry whether he's there or not. I mean, do you hear that? I mean, when we get on God's side, we never have to worry whether he's there or not. So many times we're, we're meandering about through life and we're trying to get God on our side. We're trying to get God to join up with our forces. Hey, join me, God. I've got this great plan to serve you. Hey, join me, God. I'm going to do this on your behalf. Oh, God, come alongside. And we wonder why so often we feel so alone in the ministry. It's not until we get on his side. You remember Joshua there in chapter 5 and 6 of, of the book of Joshua. And there he is. They're preparing to go across Jordan. They're, I mean, they're preparing to go in and walk around Jordan. And they really hadn't even gotten the word yet. But they're going to walk around, not Jordan. They're going to walk around the city of Jericho. Thank you. Whew. So glad the Lord walked through that door. And all of you are helping me now. Around Jericho, right? They're eventually going to walk around Jericho, but before they ever got that far, basically he says to the Lord, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Are you for us or against us? <laughs> and, and the Lord's like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not for or against you. you. You want to get things straight, you get on my team. You get on my side. Can I tell you, when you get on God's side, you're never alone. You're never alone. You never have to worry about it. He's always there. I'm inspired as I look at the faith of Abraham to leave a country, his kindred, and his father's house in search of a land promised to him by God. That, that is definitely inspirational. But I'm also encouraged to see that even amidst his shortcomings, God was with him. I want you to think about this. I want you to take just a moment. Turn over to the book of Genesis chapter 12. As a result of a famine in the land, Abram would be convinced, in his own heart at least, 
that the best course of action was to head down to Egypt. Now, I'm not convinced that's where he ought to have been. As a matter of fact, I'm very convinced otherwise. He understood that going down to Egypt presented some obstacles and even dangers, not only for him, but his family potentially. He would justify telling a half-truth instead of a whole truth. Although Sarah was indeed his half-sister, same dad, he would tell Pharaoh and those in charge that she's my sister, not my wife. Now, I want you to note that in chapter 12, there's nowhere in chapter 12 that would imply or make anyone aware of the fact that he, she was his half-sister. It's not till chapter 20 that that truth comes out. It's the second time he does it that that truth comes out. So my point being is, is that as far as we're concerned, he just bold-faced lied. Because, see, he told Pharaoh's men and Pharaoh that this is my sister. Nowhere does he try to justify that. Nowhere does he clarify that. He, just, he doesn't even call her, call her his wife at that point. Now, if you would have said to Sarah, let me ask you, are you Abraham's sister? She'd have probably said, well, I, I guess technically you could say I am, but I'm really, I mean, I'm his wife. Well, which is more important to you, being a sister or a wife? I don't think that's a tough question, Sarah would say. I choose wife. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that Abram, or at that point, would have said, oh yeah, I see her as a sister? Uh-uh. No, that was his wife. You call it a half-truth, you call it whatever you want, but you know what half-truths are? Lies. Whole lies. Abram had lied, and as a result of that, he finds himself in a real, as we said, and I told the young people, a pickle. Remember we used to use that term years ago? A real problem. But I want you to notice something in chapter 12, verse 10. Notice what goes on here again. In that particular passage, despite all of it, the fact that he even deceived Pharaoh and deceived these leaders. I want you to notice that God was still with him. Look at verse 15. And the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken unto Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maidservants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's sister. No, that's not why God was there, because it was his wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Well, I guess I was wrong. I kept looking at chapter 20, and I read it in chapter 13. I was reading a lot this week. Why why sayest thou? See, I admit I was wrong. Thank you. Moving on. So why sayest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her. And go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all 
that he had. I don't know about you, but there's no doubt God was in on that one. Now, here's what I'm going to say, and I think this is important because what I'm not trying to do, and we're going to find in chapter 20, he does the exact same thing again. He makes the same error. He does the exact same thing. But you know who's with him and who blesses him again? God does. Now, here's what I want you to see. I'm not dismissing sin at all. I'm not saying there aren't consequences for sin. But when a person embraces an attitude of obedience in their life, an attitude of obedience toward God, God is with them. You might mess up and you might make some mistakes, you might even sin, but let me tell you, when your heart is to obey God, He's there for you. And He'll be there. And you know what? How many times has He bailed us out when we've done something dumb? I don't know about you, but that obedience is important because not only do we never lose, but we also find that he's always there. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must shew himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Boy, I tell you, God delivered Abram, uh, Abram out of literal disaster. I mean disaster. And then he blesses him on top of it all. And can I tell you again, if you're obedient to God and you have a heart of obedience, I'm not talking about just every once in a while when you feel like it, you obey God. I'm talking about you have a desire to obey God. Oh, you may mess up and you may let the flesh get a hold of you from time to time, but I'm telling you, if you have a heart of obedience to God, he's there. He's there for you. I'm not just talking about indwelling you. I'm not just talking about that he's living inside you. I'm talking about he's there on your behalf to intercede on your behalf and to help you get through those tough times. It's amazing. And we see evidence of that throughout Scripture. So number one, we note that when we obey his voice, we never lose. Number two, he's always there. Number three, when we obey his voice, the future's bright. The future's bright. Good things happen to those that obey God. A great composer once visited the cathedral in Freiburg. And having heard us, the great organ, he went to the organ loft and he asked to be allowed to play that organ. Well, there was an older gentleman that was the organist and he didn't know the guy. He didn't know who he was. And furthermore, he was somewhat jealous of his instrument. I mean, I don't necessarily know that I want him to play. I mean, so he first refused. He said, no, I, no, you can't play. But sooner or later, after a little while, he finally gave in and he said, all right, all right, go ahead and play. After only a few moments of listening, delight and just amazement flooded his soul. He suddenly laid his hands on that, the shoulders of that musician. And he said, who are you? What is your name, sir? Mendelssohn, replied the great German composer. The man thought to himself, and can it be that I had so nearly refused to let Mendelssohn touch this organ? Sadly, as believers, 
we can find ourselves refusing to let God have his way in our life. And often it's because we're just downright afraid of the outcome. I mean, if God could ask me for something that I don't want to give him, God could ask me for something that may cost me too much, we may think. But if only we'd allow God to simply take control, to just simply pluck the strings of our heart. He could do with us greater things than we can even imagine. He is the master, and he is the only one whose hands can truly bring out the best in us and allow us to experience the best he has for us. Boy, when you obey the voice of God, and I obey the voice of God, the future's bright. You know, I was talking to the singles just a little while ago, and one of the things I shared with them was that, you know, the Word of God is it's very clear, and it's, it's, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one thing we know about the Word of God is that it never changes. And, and if we will apply our lives to it, if we will obey the voice of God and the Word of God as it's outlined in Scripture, we know exactly where we'll end up. Not just heaven, but we know how it will lead us in life and direct, and, and direct us. We find ourselves in the center of God's will, in the perfect plan of God, if we will allow ourselves to obey His Word and to submit and surrender ourselves to His will and His ways. The moment we get outside of his word, nothing is consistent. Everything changes at the whim of a person or government. I mean, morals change, attitudes and, and feelings change. What's right today isn't right tomorrow, and what was wrong yesterday is okay today, and the truth is, we never know where we're going to end up. It's so scary, you know, as young people begin to take those steps in life. And they take those steps, and they're, 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 at first they're, they're kind of cautious at first, but as they get a little older, they get kind of emboldened. I know what I'm doing, and I, I, I'm in charge of my life, and I don't need nobody telling me what to do. I'm growing up. And with confidence, they storm into life. And boy, we're glad for that spirit. Glad for that attitude. Yes, we want that kind of spirit. But we want it tempered by something. By something and someone that is consistent. Something and someone that never changes. Something and someone that gives us confidence that no matter how boldly you go forward, you're going to end up in a good place. Boy, how I long for our young people to be passionate about their future and passionate about where they'll end up in life. But boy, do I want them to make sure their passion is rooted and grounded in only one thing, and that's God's word. His truths. Because they will never go astray if they stay in the word. 
They'll always be found where they belong and accomplishing exactly what God intended and enjoying the joy of the Lord and finding peace and purpose in their lives instead of total chaos and confusion like Satan always brings in the end. Boy, our future's bright when we obey the voice of God. I wonder, what price are you willing to pay to enjoy the blessings of God? That in blessing, I will bless thee. What price are you willing to pay to see your family prosper? You just don't understand, Pastor. I, I struggle in that area. Okay. You realize you aren't the only one that's going to pay the price. We see evidence of that in the life of Lot. Sadly enough, we see evidence of that in the life of Abram, too. As we watch him go and take matters into his own hands at one point, and a very bad decision brought a really bad outcome when he had a child with Hagar. And today, we still pay the price for that. What price are you willing to pay to enjoy the blessings of God, to see your family prosper, to see your children overcome the world? D.L. Moody said, there'll be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. There'll be no peace in any soul until it's willing to obey the voice of God. Who will you allow to be your master today? Who will you allow to dictate and determine the direction of your life? Will you obey God tonight? I mean, with every fiber of your being, will you say, I do want to obey the Lord. I want to have an attitude of obedience toward Him. And if I fail Him, oh, God help me to recognize it and turn from it. But I want that attitude of obedience. I want the blessings of God in my life, in my family, and in the lives of my children. Arabian horses are trained rigorously in the middle of the eastern deserts. They learn to fully obey their masters there. I mean fully obey. This obedience is tested by depriving this particular animal from, of water for a number of days and then, and then turning them loose near water. As the horses get to the edge of the water and just before they drink, their masters blow a whistle. If the horses have learned to obey, they stop, turn around, and come back to the trainer who then gives them as much water as they need. See, the trainer knows what his horses need. He's not going to allow that horse to die of thirst. But he also knows that horse needs to learn to obey. They have to learn to trust the master. You know, God knows exactly what you need tonight. He knows what I need. And he wants to supply it too. 
but we have to trust and we have to obey him. Life's not always easy. And sometimes God does allow difficult times in our life. Some of you have experienced that firsthand, and I still marvel at the grace of God in your lives. I marvel. And I pray and I say, Lord, when you call me to suffer, when you call me into a difficult time like I've seen in the lives of some of those that you've provided me the privilege of pastoring, I pray that you give me the grace that you've given them. Because you know there'll be nothing else that'll get us through it but his grace and our willingness to obey, to step out into the mist and by faith take that step. And with that step, we'll find a rock. He'll be there to support us and to meet our need. The price is obedience. Because thou hast obeyed my voice, he said, all of these things shall be yours. What are you and I going to miss out on if we don't obey? Let's just make up our mind not to find out. Let's just choose to obey him at all costs, under any circumstance, and at all times. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, just for the simple truths of your word. And Lord, obedience is easy to talk about, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. So many times we have to put aside our feelings and even our hurts, our heartaches, to trust you. And Lord, that's not easy. We worry about our futures even. We, we're not sure where that obedience will lead us or take us. But Lord, help us to trust you, to believe that you're big enough to provide a rock, a stone, when we step out into the mist. Oh, Father, help us to have the faith we need to obey you always to have an attitude of obedience because, Lord, in that we'll never lose. In that, Lord, we know we're going to find your presence. In that obedience, the future's bright. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. Obedience. Is there an area in your life where you're struggling maybe in obedience? Maybe it's not even what we would call big sin. But there's just something we're holding back, just a 